0: All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Nehemiah chapter 5. We're continuing our sermon series. In Nehemiah, we have made it through the first four chapters. If you remember, God called Nehemiah to a work. You see that in chapter 1 and chapter 2. He prays, he plans, he pursues what God has called him to. In chapter 3, you have a list of people working. There's a place on the wall for the workers to be working. And then in chapter 4, you see opposition to the building, opposition from afar. Nations are rising up against the Israelites to bring an end to what God has called them to. And then you get to chapter 5, and what you see is opposition from within, opposition from within. And I asked a member last week, what do you think is a greater threat in the United States for the church, opposition from outside or inside the church? Maybe if I asked you that question this morning, I wonder how you would respond A greater threat to the church in the United States is it persecution and opposition from the outside or is it from within within their own membership of the church we'll go into that in a little bit but just something to to think about what you see in Nehemiah 5 is the reason why Nehemiah and his people are so different they live life differently than the people of God were living in the land And so, real quick, up front, I want to to give you a biblical theology for living life. How to live every day to the glory of God. And so, the title of the, the message is, What Life Looks Like When Jesus Is Our Greatest Treasure and Our Eyes Stay on the Reward That Is to Come. A person who decides that Jesus is going to be my greatest treasure, and I'm going to stay focused on what is to come, not what is, will live radically different than someone who doesn't have that as their treasure. And you'll see this with Nehemiah. Nehemiah 5.9 says, shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God? You had leaders in Israel that were not living in the fear of God. They were living for themselves. And you see Nehemiah's motivating principle is the Lord. In Nehemiah 5.15 it says, but out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. He's living differently and it's a motivation coming from his relationship with his God. And then in Nehemiah 5.19, it says, Remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. His eyes are on what is to come, not what is. So a biblical theology for living life, and you can categorize it in two different uh, places. One is what you treasure, and it should be Jesus. But then the other one is keeping your eyes on the reward that is to come. And so speaking of treasuring God, Psalm 63, 1 through 4. If you're taking notes, write these down. Write these down. If you can see them, write the verses down up top. Psalm 63, 1 through 4. Who talks like this? Listen listen to the psalmist in this text. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. That's a man who treasures God. Or how Paul puts it in Philippians 3.8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for his sake. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Can we say the same? Take everything else, just give me Jesus. He is my greatest treasure. Or, in Hebrews, you see it put together with Moses. In Hebrews 11.26, it says, Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. The wealthiest nation on the planet, Moses had anything that he wanted considers it nothing compared to the treasure that is jesus and it says why because he was looking ahead to his reward and then speaking of keeping your eyes on what is to come first corinthians 3 12 through 15 if you know jesus you're building you're, you're doing what God's called you to do if jesus is your lord you're following him but there's two ways to build first corinthians builds on this If anyone builds on this foundation, speaking of Jesus Christ, using gold, silver, costly stones, and then you have wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. When Jesus returns, it will be brought to light. We will stand and give an account to Jesus for how we live. We keep reading in 1 Corinthians, it will be revealed with fire, the fire that will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though as only one escaping through the flames. I don't want to be one who just escapes through the flames. I want to keep my eyes on the reward that is to come. Galatians 6, 7 through 9. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Your life is sowing something. My life is sowing something. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. We've got a work to do. And until you meet the Lord in the air or through the grave, we keep working. Because there will be a harvest. And then Hebrews 11.6, it says, And without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. That's a biblical theology for living life. Every day of the week, every second of the day. Treasure Jesus, keep your eyes on the reward that is to come. That's what Nehemiah does in chapter 5. John Piper speaks of it like this. He has a, a message entitled, A Plea for a radical discipleship Christian wartime lifestyle and I thought that's an interesting title I was reading through it this is how he defines a wartime lifestyle I have resources for one basic glorious purpose to magnify the worth of God in the world not to show that I value things more than God so think about the stuff that we have does it magnify Jesus with how you use the stuff? Or does it magnify ourselves? He brought up lifestyle decisions. So vacations, where should I go? How long should I stay? How much should I spend? Should I go to the lake on the weekends? Should I eat out? Should I spend thousands of dollars on food? What car should I drive? How many cars do we need? Where should I live? How big a house? Should I rent or should I own? And he goes on to say, we've got to guard against maximizing our own comforts and luxuries and pursue sacrifice, service, and generosity. I just want to go through what a wartime lifestyle looks like. I want to hit three areas. One is for retirement, and i got to be careful with this. My mom and dad listen to the sermons on podcasts, and my mom and dad are both in the retirement stage of life. But I want you to approach retirement in a different way than the world tells you to approach retirement. The world says go in cruise control, relax, don't worry about work. God says, finish strong. It's interesting. We keep reading, a lifetime of walking with Christ can't end in a focus on self. Finish well. Aging is not for wimps, John Piper mentions. So far as bodily health allows, we should aim to be running the last laps of our Christian lives flat out, full speed ahead. The world is screaming at you to relax, take it easy, slow down, do only what you enjoy. J.I. Packer puts it this way. The challenge that faces us as we age is not to let physical slowing down produce spiritual slowing down, but to cultivate the maximum zeal for the closing phase of life. Maximum zeal for the last phase of earthly living. Are you maximizing ministry? Are you maximizing spiritual growth? Are you maximizing your influence of Christ? Or are you maximizing comfort instead of meeting needs? every stage of life live to the glory of God because you treasure Jesus not stuff students what does a wartime lifestyle look like in your life think about the grades good grades, bad grades all of the grades that you earn should be done for the glory of Christ you've been blessed with a brain use it to the glory of God don't waste time on silly stuff You look at the videos that are coming out, and you've got TikTok and Snapchat and all the social media, and I'm not anti-social media. I think you can redeem that. I think you can use social media to the glory of God, but I also know you can waste a lot of time on stuff that doesn't matter. Students, how are you going to live out Philippians 1.21? So, Michael, you got this verse memorized? For me to live is what? Christ. For me to live is Christ, and to die is? So our prayer for our students that we have on Wednesday night is that they actually live this out. So we ask them for me to live is, and then they fill in the blank. And there's all sorts of things that you can fill in the blank. And all of us are filling in the blank. Our prayer and my prayer is that for myself and our church, we fill in it for me to live as Christ, to make much of Jesus every day that I've got. So it organizes what we do, how we approach sports, how we approach dating, how we approach the classroom, how we approach work it's interesting in the student assembly we're getting ready to take the test big standardized testing and the motivation was our superintendent coming in and offering five dollar gift cards to students that could try hard on a test now listen money is a motivating factor i mean it'll even motivate adults to put in 40 hours a week at a job they may or may not like money motivates but it's a poor substitution for the motivation we have in christ Students should work hard on the test because they've been given a gift of life from God. They should honor their teachers because they know that God created the teacher that's in their classroom. They should love the students in their classroom, not because they'll get in trouble if they don't, but because they love God. And love for God overflows into love of others. So students, what does a wartime lifestyle look for you? And then you can go to parents, young married couples and families. Are you living for the weekends? I'll tell you what. On Wednesday, I was living for a snow day. Our snow days got mixed up. We were off on Sunday and on on Wednesday. I needed those flipped. We didn't get an inch of snow Wednesday. And I'll tell you what. You walk into Holmes High School on Wednesday when you were supposed to get four to six inches. Whew! It was a rough day. Living for a snow day. Living for the weekend. Families, how do you approach your neighborhood? Open up the garage door, sprint in, hoping nobody sees you? Or do you see neighbors as a mission field? Is your workplace just for you to earn money? Or does God place you there because he has somebody that needs to hear the gospel from you? And then for sports, it's an amazing thing how sports dominates families' lives. We want one of our daughters to play volleyball, but the only time they offer it is 10, 11, and 12 on Sunday morning. The world will say, well, she'll fall behind, and she can't catch up, and she'll miss out on developing this skill. But when Jesus is your greatest treasure, none of that stuff matters. So you've got to make a decision. Right? Pray. Be led by the Spirit. But make sure your family is treasuring Jesus. And then I'll use these two polarizing examples. They're opposites. You've got David Platt had a church in Birmingham, mega church. And uh, he said for a year, they looked at everything in the budget and cut everything so they could send it to missions in India. And he said even the children participated, and they cut goldfish as snacks. No snacks for the kids, right? Now, he took some heat for this, right? you taking goldfish from kids. is pretty serious. But then on the opposite spectrum, side of the spectrum, you have Creflo Dollar asking his church to raise, I think it was $65 million for a jet so he could do ministry you see we're somewhere in between and this is what I encourage you use your life to treasure Jesus and keep your eyes on what is to come nothing that this world has to offer that's what you see in Nehemiah 5 are we as Redemption Church Ashton Avenue are we focused on the glory of Christ or the comfort of self do we pursue God's call on us to make disciples you see for nehemiah it was a wall to build for us it's a city to reach there's a reason why we are here on ashland avenue right by the largest multi-housing community in covington and it's not for us to have a pretty building it's for us to take the love of god to the people and you do that through sharing the gospel that's our mission and you're not going to do that by being worried about self You will do it when you treasure Jesus and you focus on the reward that is to come. So, with that said, let's jump into the sermon. Number one, this is the longest title I've ever had for a sermon. It won't be indicative of uh, how long the sermon will be, so buckle up. Number one, when Jesus is not our greatest treasure and our eyes are not on the reward that is to come, others will suffer. Others will suffer. Let's read verses 1 through 5 now. The men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some of them were saying, we are sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. You see, they've been working on the wall. They didn't have time to manage their crops. And now their family's starving and there's a famine in the land. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, our homes to get grain during this famine. Still, others were saying, we have had to borrow money and pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we, are not the, although we are the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, we have had to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, and we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to them. That's how the people of God were treating other people of God. Families starving, families that are desperate, while others were making money on their situation. Deuteronomy 23, 19 says, Do not charge your fellow Israelite interest. Deuteronomy 23, 20 says, So that the Lord your God may bless you in everything you do. Do you put your hand to the land you are entering to possess. And you have these two uh, parallels. You have, don't treat people like this so that you may be blessed by God. And Nehemiah saw it and he goes to him and is angry. Because he sees the suffering of the people you know the church a lot of times folds from within there was a basketball team the 1998 Chicago Bulls and this is back when I was growing up this was uh, my teenage years and this team was a dynasty they had won six trophies six finals trophies They had a ring for every finger of their hand and one for the other hand. Nobody could touch them. Every time they go to the finals, they're 6-0. Guess who beat them? Nobody. The team folded up from within. The general manager was mad because he didn't get enough credit. The coach was mad because he wasn't getting paid enough. Phil Jackson, he leaves. Scottie Pippen was mad because Jordan was getting too much recognition and he wanted to get paid. Dennis Rodman was just a little bit crazy, right? And the team just folds. The next year, the team was gone. Dynasty done. Not from outside, but from within. And there are many churches that suffer the same fate. I'll give you just some from my background. There was a church, my pastor, my grandpa's church. Member, staff member, committed a crime. Drugged the church's name through the papers and just destroyed the reputation in the community. Another time, there was a Sunday school class at a church I was serving. Sunday school class was growing. It had middle-aged adults, couples, and they didn't like everything that the pastor was doing, and eventually enough complaints became a threat, and they told the pastor, either you're going to get with us or you're going to leave. Split the church. There was another time, One of my favorite guys to work with was going in the bathroom, washing his hands, getting ready to leave, dry it. Sunday school teacher comes up to him, and now listen—he was wearing a sports coat, and he comes up, grabs him by the sports coat, and puts him into the wall. And I thought he was lying to him. I thought he was joking. I thought he was exaggerating. Until he doubled down and said, "Listen, I thought he was just playing with me," until his face started turning red and he started yelling. The Sunday school teacher was mad at him because the staff member was multiplying our small groups. And he needed two members from this Sunday school class to teach the class. And this Sunday school teacher threatened his life. Church within. And you can have list after list after list, story after story after story. The greatest threat for us with where we live, nobody's busting down that door to come arrest any of us. We're not getting thrown in jail for following Jesus in this country. The greatest threat to us, Redemption Church at Ashton Avenue, is our own members. And when we are not treasuring Jesus and we're not focused on the reward, people will suffer. Let's learn that from Nehemiah chapter five. Not only will people suffer, this is another important. Now this is an action step. When we don't treasure Jesus and we don't focus on the reward to confront, there's two things. We need to have the grace to be confronted, but also the courage to confront. The grace to be confronted. Does anyone get to tell you when you're wrong? Do you have the courage to bring it up when you see it in others? Because we all have blind spots. Let's, let's read what happens. Verses 6 through 10. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. This is Nehemiah speaking. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest? So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews and those who are sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued. What you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of the Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men also have been leading the people and money and grain, but let us stop charging interest. Nehemiah calls him out. He says, don't do it. Can anybody call you out when you are not treasuring Jesus? When something has a hold of your heart and it's not Christ? Do you live in close enough proximity for somebody to see that? Who knows if you're treasuring Jesus? I would say a spouse would. Julianne and the girls can tell if I'm treasuring Jesus or not. And they have the freedom to call me out. Because if I'm not treasuring Jesus, not only is it not good for them, it's not good for me. In the presence of God is the fullness of joy. And that's what we want. We want to pursue Jesus. And so I've got some family members and some friends that can call me out. And then do you have the grace to be confronted? How do you respond if somebody confronts you? Do you snap back? Well, you're not this. Well, you don't do this. You see, I love that Nehemiah had the courage to confront, but then I also respect that the nobles had the grace to respond. So Ava got her license, passed the test. When we were driving, guess what? I sat in the shotgun. Do you think I was quiet? no, no, Ava, you got to slow down, we don't need more speed, Ava, you got to turn up here, hey, we got to speed up, you actually got to accelerate when you pull out in front of somebody, (laughs) right, I was constantly talking, and guess what, she responded well, now, two weeks ago, I was driving home, I had my call in my truck, and I get to a stop sign, and I thought the street in front of me also had a stop sign, I thought it was a four-way stop, it wasn't, it was only a two-way stop, so I start to pull out. Mike goes, "Stop." Now I could have said, "You know what, Mike? I've been driving this truck longer than you've been alive." Yes. I don't care what you say. You don't you don't know how to drive this truck. Right? No, I gave the grace to respond. Slammed on the brakes. Mike saved both of our lives or at least a nice little accident. What about you? Who sees if you're treasuring Jesus? If your eyes are on the reward. Anybody can show up to a service for an hour. But see you in your daily life. Are you treasuring Jesus? Is he your greatest concern day in and day out? And if not, do you have the grace to let someone bring it up to you? And then do you have the courage to bring it up to someone else? That's what you see in Nehemiah 5, 6 through 10. So not only do you have the grace to confront and the courage to confront, but you also need to repent. When Jesus is not our greatest treasure and our eyes are not on the reward that is to come, we need to repent. Means turn from it. You see this in verse 11 and 13. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also with interest you are charging them 1%. So you're going to give them back more than you took. How do you think they'll respond? Verse 12, we will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. So Nehemiah's like, "Uh, we're going to make sure you do. Verse 13, I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, In this way may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. At this the whole assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they promised you want to know why we should be quick to repent why we should give people freedom to confront us in our sin Proverbs talks about this again and again and again Proverbs fifteen five: a fool despises his father instruction but whoever heeds reproof is prudent Proverbs fifteen thirty one: the ear that listens to life giving reproof will dwell among the wise Proverbs 27 6 wounds from a friend can be trusted but an enemy multiplies kisses or Proverbs 28:3, "Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue." That's how you respond when someone calls you out. When your life isn't lining up with the Word of God, when you're not treasuring Jesus, repent, turn from it, and get back to following Jesus. And so, those are the three negative commands. But then there's also three positive commands. When Jesus is our greatest treasure and our eyes are on the reward that is to come, we will make, we will be able to sacrifice for others. When Jesus is our treasure and our eyes are on the reward, we can sacrifice for one another. You see this, 14 and 15. Moreover, from the 20th year, King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until the 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. They could have, But they didn't. Why? But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver in addition to the food and wine. Their assistants also lorded over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. He didn't treasure money. And he didn't treasure food. He treasured God. Therefore, he was able to sacrifice for the people. The same will be true of the church today they had been there 12 years and before that the exiles went in 537 BC they had built an altar the temple had been built 21 years later earlier and now Ezra had been there 13 years but the wall was still in rubble why? because the people weren't sacrificing they were serving themselves they were focused on their food and their money and their wine and the wall was in ruins What do you treasure? What do you treasure this morning? What is most valuable to you? If Jesus is your treasure, your money will make much of Jesus. If Jesus is your treasure, your time will make much of Jesus. If Jesus is your treasure, you'll use your home to the glory of God and not just your comfort. You see, when Jesus is your treasure, you're able to give away you're able to sacrifice. So, Balin, we've already picked on you once. Come on up here. We're going to pick on you again. So, Balin, I have this quarter. It's only twenty-five cents, but it's yours. But you got to get it out of this. Now, come on. We don't have all time. This is taking a long time, and I got the rest of the sermon to preach. All right. I appreciate your effort. Are you done? All right, Balin. This quarter is yours. Some of us, and all of us on occasion, have a tendency to hold so tightly to things that don't last. We're not giving a dime to anybody. I'm not giving my time to anybody. I'm not using anything for anybody else. It's my world, and you're just living in it. And we're holding so tightly to stuff that won't last. That's what they were doing in Nehemiah's day. The world's still filled with people like that unfortunately so is the church my prayer for myself and my family and my church here is that this is how we live life how are you able to open up your hand you hold on to Jesus when you're holding on to Jesus everything else can come and go I want Jesus and so when we asked our guys for me to live as Christ many of them couldn't say that's what their life was about How about you this morning? Is Jesus what you treasure the most? If not, there won't be much sacrificing for people. But not only will there not be much sacrificing for people, there won't be much serving, and there won't be much working. You keep reading. What you see in verse 16, this is one of my favorite verses. So instead of demanding silver from the people and demanding the buffets from the people, Guess what Nehemiah did? Guess what Nehemiah and his boys did? Instead, I devoted myself to the work of this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We're not here to eat buffets. We're not here to get drunk on wine. We're not here to big build houses with lots of money. Why are we here? We're here to do the work. We're here to work. So he goes on. We did not acquire any land. I love this verse right here. Isn't it amazing that the wall was in shamble year after year? What changed? You finally had a people that treasured God so they could get to work. You know, sometimes I I look at this wall and I wonder if Nehemiah was overwhelmed. It's gate after gate after gate. And it goes on and on and on. Football fields worth of walls. And I wonder if he was overwhelmed by the work. But you don't see that, do you? You'll see next week he gets this work completed because God's with him. But do you know you and I have a task that's bigger than this here wall? Over 40,000 people living right in this city. And I didn't even calculate northern Kentucky, greater Cincinnati area. The church is to be working. Don't get distracted. Be devoted to the work. I love what uh, Andrew did with uh, Bronston. Bronston's playing basketball. It's his first league this year, so he's learning how to play. He made a basket, we got a video, so Andrew said, you know what, we're gonna focus on defense. He goes, Bronston, if you play good defense, we'll get you ice cream after the game. Isn't it amazing what a little motivation ice cream is? Andrew goes, well, I may have motivated him too much. He wouldn't leave his guy's side. So they're taking the ball out. He's right there on them. They're dribbling up the court. He's right there on them. They're on offense. He's right there on them. Right? He was worried about defense because he was focused on the work at hand. Man, I hope that's us. Man, I don't have time to be distracted chasing after that or this or this. God has called us to a work. And I want to be found building the wall. Isn't that very clarifying for how we should live life? Let's say, hopefully, this never happens, our house is caught on fire. Things are going up in flames. There are only five reasons I will run back into the house Julianne, Ava, Balin, Camden, and Dia. Those are the only five reasons. I would go back into the house. I don't care where the computer is, where the TV is. I don't care even if I had a pair of Jordan 11s, which are my all-time favorite shoes. Never, ever, will ever get these with four daughters. Favorite shoes. I don't care if they're in the bedroom. They'll go up with the flames. You want to know why? There's only five people. That's valuable enough for me to run back into it to rescue That's what happens when you treasure Jesus. You are clarifying your life. If you can't make much of Jesus doing something, don't do it. If it's just about your comfort and your desires, don't do it. For however many years God's blessed you with, whether it's 10, 20, 30, 100, use each one of them for the work God's called you to. And I promise you this, if you're breathing, God's called you to a work. So treasure Jesus and get to work. And then finally, not only are you able to sacrifice for others, not only are you able to be devoted to the work, but you're also able to serve one another. This is how Nehemiah ends. You see this with verses 17 through 19. When Jesus is our greatest treasure and our eyes are on the reward that is to come, we will serve others. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table. I don't know what type of kitchen table Nehemiah had. That's a big table. As well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six sheep, some poultry prepared for me. And every 10 days, out of abundant supply of wine, all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. Remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for this people. And you want to know what the awesome part is? God always remembers. Here's the bad news. I'll read something or want to tell Julianne something early in the morning, and by the time I get home, I forget. Right? I had something to say. I knew I had something to say, but I have no idea what it is. God doesn't have that problem. He sees all things clearly. And his memory is perfect. And there is a reward coming for those who are serving him when I read this I'm interested and I'll close with this I told you I wondered if Nehemiah felt overwhelmed he's sitting there he goes at night to look at this wall and it's in rubble it's been burned and yet he knows that God called him to something you ever feel that way? You've been following God now for maybe a month or maybe it's been 70 years and you feel overwhelmed. Don't give up. Don't give up. It's an amazing thing what God does through his people. I also look at this and I think, man, we really do need each other. I mean, think about this. If this was was our group, and we were dependent on a wall protecting us, I don't think we would treat people as expendable, do you? You know, God's building something greater than a wall right now. He's building a temple made up of living stones. And we desperately need each other to build upon Christ. Nobody's expendable. It matters who you are and that you're with us. And then. Thirdly, what could God accomplish in us if Jesus was our greatest treasure? The people will respond, how in the world did they do the wall? They're not that talented. There's not that many of them. How in the world could they do something like this wall and rebuild it in this many days? You want to know what you see in the Bible and you see throughout history? God does awesome things through ordinary people and he'll get the credit why can't one day residents in Covington be walking to a place to worship God by the thousands why can't Holmes High School be a missionary sending school instead of a school for whatever its reputation is now why can't it be our God's still working and he still called his people to do the work and I also know this, Nehemiah wasn't the first one back from exile. There were many that went before him, and the work wasn't done. And this, I don't know how many years God's going to give me, but I do know this. For as many years as I've got, I'm going to be working. I'm going to be doing the work God's called us to, and I hope you have the same mentality. And I want you to see the motivation. Motivation comes from Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. If you're taking notes, write that down. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 gets the focus back on Jesus. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's follow the example of Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for gathering us here this morning. Lord, I pray that you move in a powerful way this morning. I pray that if anyone is here and they are not treasuring you, that today they make that decision. That Jesus will be the most valuable person in their life. That they'll live for him and not themselves. Father, I pray that you give us the boldness to confront others in a loving way. And I pray that you give us the grace to repent. That we walk around in humility. That we love each other well. That we sacrifice for one another. That we serve one another. And that we're devoted to the work you've called us to. Lord, let us lay aside selfish ambition. Lay us lay aside our own wants and pursue you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.